You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. something a little bit different this morning, if that's all right. Let me say this, something different for me, because my central message, if you've ever been around me, been on the phone with me, if you've been here and heard me preach a message at all, uh, obviously as a worship pastor, I'm going to talk about worship quite a bit. Um, prayer and intercession are a, a central part of not just what I do, but who I am as a person. I, I grew up in a highly um, charismatic Pentecostal environment. And some of that was crazy and wild. If any of you grew up in anything like that, you know it can be a little bit chaotic uh, with people running around and shouting. If you've never been a part of that, it's fun. But one of the things that those environments taught me is, number one, how to worship. My value as a son and daughter because of what Jesus did on the cross, right, um, but also uh, my value as an intercessor, which I talked about a lot last year in preaching about, you know, because Jesus uh, intercedes, is our primary intercessor, or head intercessor, but intercedes uh, on our behalf, that means that wherever we walk in the earth, that you, are, you and I are also intercessors. That means, this is a side message, this is not what I'm talking about today, but for new people here, that because Jesus simply sits at the right hand of the Father, and intercedes on our behalf, that means that his mere act of sitting in his position is an act of intercession. That means that wherever you and I walk, wherever we exist on the earth is a mere act of intercession. Now, prayer and laying, laying hands on people to pray, that absolutely works and is valid and legal in kingdom, especially in the new covenant, right? But the Simply you existing in the earth, wherever you are, if it's in your church, if it's in your home, whatever place of influence you have, you are an intercessor in that moment, right? And so that's something that we love. That's something that we believe, we're thankful for. We thank you, Jesus, that we are intercessors because of you. Not, we don't have to strive for it. We don't have to attain anything to become one, but we simply are. And so these are central messages to me that, that thankfully, because of Chris and Terry allowing me to have input into this house, that, that we are becoming this kind of people. It's not something that we're just learning about. Now that now we're doing the stuff, as John Lindbergh said, right? But today I want to talk about something that we all know and we love, which is family, creating healthy family, which is a new message for me to preach, not necessarily something I'm new to. So if you've been in a part of this house for any amount of time, even if it's for three months, you've probably heard this message preached at least once in that three months. And that is because this is the most important thing that we can start with. Now, I want you to hear me. It's not the main reason why we show up. I've talked about this a lot. Church, first and foremost, is for God, right? Family is the context in what we do, right? And so we, the, the term that we use all the time, it's a part of who we are as a church, building family around his presence. You don't get kingdom family without his presence, but you also don't get the fullness of presence without kingdom family. Does that make sense? And so family adds context to in, encountering God and hosting God's presence, but it also vice versa requires that we do family well, right? And so I want to kind of emphasize some stuff today around what it looks like to not only model but create kingdom family, right, and healthy family, more importantly, that we, we all know that family's messy. It, it's, it's not a, a perfect thing by design because it, it means that God is required in the solution. His solutions are our solutions, that we're going to fail and we're going to mess up, but every failure is an opportunity for us to allow God to come in and show us what his family actually looks like. Amen? We believe that this morning? So I, I want to do a classic me move, and I want to read a lot of scripture. I, I sent um, Shantae, who loaded in pro presenter stuff this morning, uh, the slides that I had, and there were a grand total of 42 slides. Um, and so it was great because I skimmed that down from 80-something last night. <laughs> so you're welcome in advance. Um, but I, I do want to... Um, uh, I'm going to go through them. We're not going to linger, and I'm not going to be here for two hours. This is not going to be a Sermon on the Mount moment. But more, more, than, I, more than preaching and giving you a feel-good message today, I do want to outline some, some core beliefs that we have around kingdom. So that There are some churches that will read one token scripture a Sunday morning and say, all right, well, this is a legal meeting now. We can move on and do what we want to do. Um, I, I'm going to kind of do a little bit more of the opposite. I want to do a lot of reading today 
Um, but, but please hear me. Don't check out. Uh, scripture is not meant to be, just be informative. It's meant to be transformative. And if you'll allow it today, uh, just in the simply the hearing of it and the, and the consuming it, let it transform you today. Does that, does that feel good? That makes sense, guys? So let's do this. Let's pray. Um, because I, I really want this message to permeate who we are uh, as a body. I want it to hit you individually, but I want this to sink into who we are today uh, so that when we leave and then as we come back week to week, uh, that what we talk about today be- becomes a reality for us. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, you are the seed sower, and I thank you that you have tilled the land, you have readied the clouds, you have readied the rain, and we ask that you would scatter the seed right now uh, and send the rain on this body right now. Um, seeds, Lord, that will, that will grow into a ripe harvest of family, of loving one another well, of understanding what that looks like, and understanding how you have designed uh, for us to live together with one another, not just uh, as lone rangers in the wild, but as a family that uh, co- not only coexists, but co-creates uh, co-authors that, that co-fill in the blank, that whatever you've designed for us, not only individually, but as a people, that you would uh, send the rain and, and water the harvest, water the fields, so that this body uh, could bear much fruit in that. Lord, I pray for the mind and the ear of every believer in this room, that as we read scripture, that we wouldn't tune out, that we wouldn't be like TikTok culture and have six-second attention spans, that we would be allowed to to really lock into what you're saying and doing this morning. And Jesus, keep our focus on you. You're the reason why we're here. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen, amen. amen. Okay, let's do this. Let's start. Um, I have four main things that I want to talk about this morning and then some uh, subtopics. Uh, this is point number one. So if you're a note taker or you want to take pictures of this, please be go, go ahead and take pictures. We're also, I'm going to work on this week, getting all these slides available to you on either Facebook or whatever uh, social media means you have uh, so that you can go back and read through these on your own time as well and uh, meditate on them. Go back and read script- these scripture references. I have more that I'm going to post later in the week. I had a, like 85 to 90 scripture references, about five to six a piece for each one of these points. And so it's, it's scripturally rich not to overwhelm you, but to really help you to understand the biblical context for what we're doing. We're not just doing this so that it feels good and looks right. It, it, it's not because we want to look like we're doing better than the world, but we're providing a solution to the world, and we have to have uh, right context for how and why we do that, right? So, okay, we're going to uh, start digging into this. It's 1123. I'm going to try to stay on my time here pretty, pretty good today. Uh, but point number one, we are adopted into God's family so we intentionally create family and community wherever we go. How many people believe that but also do that week to week? That is the, probably the, one of these best points but also one of the hardest points that be, because we are adopted into God's family, that means that I now have a responsibility to not just be family but to go and create family intentionally wherever I go. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's look at some scripture here. Uh, Ephesians 1.5. If you want to look in your, your uh, Bibles on your phone or take notes as you go, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. So let's read this together. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, which means that the fall and sin did not catch him off guard, that he had a plan all along to bring us into family that we honestly came from, that it says that before the foundation of the world that he knew us and loved us, that means that I was in him before anything ever existed. This plan was to redeem his original intent and design for us, amen? And so from the very beginning, God has had a plan to not only create family but redeem family so that we could not just exist in family but create family just like him. Does that make sense, everyone? Because we are like God, and God was able to create family, he's made us with the ability like him to create family, just in the same way that he does. Does that make sense? Are we, are we, are we liking this? Is this okay? Y'all are, y'all are looking at me stone cold this morning. I need, I need some amen people in the room. My Lord, that's what we're in the South. I need some encouragement. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Where y'all at? Man, okay, let's keep going. Ephesians 2.19. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> oh, Lord. All right, uh, do you have Ephesians 2? Yeah, there you go. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Somebody say amen. amen. There we go. Thank you, Jake. Uh, one more on this one, Romans eight fifteen through 16. Uh, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, he's saying, and if you are children, then you are heirs. Because we are part of family, that means that we benefit from something. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, and here's the condition, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I want to take a second and talk about this real quick, that provided we suffer with him does not mean that life, and I'm going to use some harsh language here, that life is going to suck always, okay? I want us to understand that this scripture isn't giving life to death in your life. This is saying that because he was crucified, I was crucified with him. And because he rose, I also rose with him. Do we understand the context here? That it's not about being a Christian and suffering for the sake of him. It is because he died and he rose and he has joined me into himself. I am in him and he is in me that I not only benefit from his death, but also his resurrection. And because of that, the position that he is seated in in heaven, I also am seated there too. Amen? Okay, I hope, I hope this is... This is feeling good. All right, point number two. Does everyone, everyone understand what we just talked about, that this thing of adoption isn't, isn't that um, I, was no, I was never a part of family and brought into family now, is that I was always a part of family. Sin did something to undo the way that I was made, and the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection remade me in his image. Therefore, I now get to walk in that image. That makes sense? All right, let's keep going. 1127, Lord, help me. Number two, uh, we think like healthy family members and do what's best for the whole environment, mutually submitting to one another in love and not being selfish. Man, here we go. Okay. <laughs> I hope y'all love me after this. Let's look at uh, Philippians 2, verse 3. Maybe. Yes, here we go. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Whew, Lord, I'm just going to let that one speak for itself. Let's look at Ephesians uh, 5. I told you all we're going to blaze through some scripture, and don't stress if you can't type these down fast enough or take pictures. We're going we're gonna to have these posted tomorrow or the next day for your, for your uh, viewing pleasure. Okay? All right, Ephesians 5, this is 15 through 21. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And we're not going to unpack this today. This, uh, this is a message for another day. How many know that we are no longer under the law, but we are free? Let me, let's just, we're, we're not given permission, but we are given freedom and discernment. Amen. Okay. For that is debauchery. Uh -huh. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Is that the end of that one, Michael? Or? There we go. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, and for giving thanks always, excuse me, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other translations. Verse 21 says this, submitting to one another out of the fear of the Lord. And I just want to drop this real quick right here, that rightful fear of the Lord is not fear of him because he is mean. It is not fear of him because he is cruel or too powerful for me to understand. It is an honor reverence of him. I want you to understand this, that the angels and the elders around the throne right now are not submitting to him in fear because they are afraid of him. They are submitted to him in fear because of the awesomeness and the power of God and the goodness of God. 
And so when we read Ephesians 5, and we see the end, which adds the context to this entire section of Scripture, submitting to one another out of the fear of the Lord is the same encounter that the angels and the elders have right now on the throne and have had for eternity. And so right here, submitting to one another, not out of fear that we're going to be punished for behaving poorly, but because of who God is and who he is to you and I. Does that make sense? And so I wanted to make sure that we add rightful context to what fear the Lord is. And I made very, very careful not to add translations that say fear the Lord. I wanted to make sure that we have language that makes sense to how we are to behave. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because we're afraid of him, but because we are in love with him. And that love for him and his love for us should cause us to behave a certain kind of way towards one another. Because he's in me, he's also in Jake. And he's also in Rachel. And he's also in Chris. And he's also in Craig. And that means that the fear that, fear that I have or the awe that I have for him should cause me to behave rightly towards Chris. Because when I look at him, I see the goodness in him that God has planted in him. And I see the character of Christ that is in Jake because Christ is also in him. Do we understand this? Okay. All right. Point three. Here we go. I'm zooming, y'all. Here we go. I did that in three minutes. My goodness, four minutes. Whew. Here we go. Number three, in covenant relationships, we purposely grow our capacity to trust and be trusted as we empower and confront one another in order to live out who we truly are. Let's take a look at Matthew 18, verse 15 through 16. Are we doing okay? Good. I told you this was going to be a lot of reading, but this is going to be good, I promise. All right, Matthew 18, here we go. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Whoo! Here we go. I told y'all, I hope you like me after this. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. How many times, and I want us to be very honest right here. Oh, I'm getting some looks. This is fun. How many times have we actually seen this modeled well and healthily? Can, you, can anyone with a show of hands tell me one time that biblically this has been modeled well in their life? That's great. It's a shame, and I'm not putting shame on people. I'm saying it is a shame that it has not been historically this way for the church, specifically the modern church. Knowing the revelation that we have and the relationship that we have with Christ and Scripture that adds context on how we are supposed to live as brothers and sisters that this is the model for handling confrontation and conflict. And I want to propose to you this morning that now we have this revelation and we have this information, which is supposed to lead to revelation, that everyone in this room, everyone listening on a podcast right now, now has a responsibility to live this way. When you walk out these doors today, no longer can you say, oh, I just didn't think about that, or I didn't know that was in the Bible. If you are listening to this, that means that we are now responsible to one another. This isn't a personal responsibility. This is corporate accountability. That if Chris does something to hurt my heart, then I am no longer able rightly to go to Jake and say, you're not going to believe what that son of a gun said to me last week. He did what? I'm going to tell you what he did. Because the model for creating healthy families says that if I have ought with my brother to go to him, and then if he doesn't listen, to bring two more with me. That's right. Are we tracking with this this morning? When, when, when Scripture, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to linger on this because this isn't the, the, the central point that I want to make today, but when, when Scripture seems offensive, when it grinds against the way that we operate and what we believe in, it's not God trying to offend my heart. 
He's trying to upset and undo the way that I have believed and behaved. And unfortunately, for most of us that have grown up in church or experienced uh, church in, in a negative way, leaders, unhealthy leaders, have taught us that this is not the way, that we let it go, and then we go and vent to somebody that we love rather than creating a healthy connection that's going to last a lifetime, that's going to bear much fruit for the kingdom. And so I want us to hear this today, that when you have an issue with your brother, right here. Does this make sense? Okay. Let's read one more and then we'll move on. Let's look at Luke, uh, Luke 17, 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. <laughs> Be self-aware, y'all. That's what that means. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You must forgive him. Repentance is not an option here. Repentance is not optional. Now, do I have to continue to allow that kind of behavior in my life? Can I set up healthy boundaries? Absolutely, I can. But my personal responsibility as a believer and a new covenant Christian is to forgive. Why? How can I do that? Because of Jesus. Because he can and because he did, so can I. And I am responsible too. Amen? Okay. Let's look at uh, point number four right here, and then we're going to uh, move on to some smaller stuff here. How are we doing? My goodness. Okay. We are loyal, which is demonstrated most radically when people fail. I'm going to say that again. We are loyal, which is demonstrated most radically when people fail. We do not punish and abandon those who fail in order to save face or show we hate sin. But instead, we commit to helping them be restored. Man, okay. Let's look at um, Galatians, Galatians 6.1. If you want to turn there or write this down. Okay, here we go. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We're going to talk about gentleness a lot more here in the next few minutes, okay? Uh, let's look at uh, John 8. This is probably one of the more bulkier verses for the morning, but I wanted to read it because it's good. Uh, John 8, 1 through 11. Here we go. I'm just going to read all the way through. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, saying to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the, in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. We've talked a lot this morning already about because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of the position that we have in him, that I am now not allowed to behave like him. I am now called to live like him. I am enabled to live a certain way that should, have, should be different from the way that I lived before him. Does that make sense? And so that means that John 8, 1, is the way that we should look at Christian persecution. It's the way that we should look at people in sin. It's the way that we should look at those that have fallen and don't know what to do with their life, that are in a mess so deep and so dirty that they don't know how to get out of it. And instead of me looking at that judgmentally and laughing and saying, well, 
can't believe she's in that position. I raise a stone every time I say it. It may not be to murder, but it is to cast judgment. And Jesus, contrary to the way that the world lives, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Enabling her in a, in a pre-cross reality, before he had even died on the cross, to be sinless. Did you catch that? Go and sin no more. Well, how would that even be possible? If I am inherently evil by nature, which is what the church teaches us, and I am just a sinner saved by grace, then how could she sin no more? The blood hadn't even been shed yet. But Jesus' command to her was to go and sin no more. <laughs> I need y'all to understand that this isn't just fancy language in a, in a good mission statement. This is the gospel. That the, the, the message of creating family and healthy family is all tied up and wrapped up in the gospel. We, we can't do family without living out the gospel. And Jesus is not just allowing but creating a space for her to be sinless. Not that she, can't, she, she can no longer mess up because you and I both can too. But he is enabling her to now think, oh, I don't have to sin. And therefore break those cycles of sin that she'd been in for years, probably decades. Freeing her to live the life that she was destined to live. To go and create family of her own. And that's what he has set aside for us. Is to break those cycles of sin and shame and guilt and condemnation. And go and sin no more. Do you believe that this morning? Okay, let's, um, I got a couple more small things that I want to read, and I'm going to kind of zoom through them. It's 11.42. This is perfect. I'm doing good. Thank you, Lord. Um, I want to add some, <laughs> y'all are kidding. I'm, I'm not even halfway through, so I'm trying to, whew, here we go. Everybody doing okay? I know this is a lot of reading. Here we go. This is point number one right here. God the Father, Jesus, let me, let me stop before I read through these. I want to, these, these next ones I'm about to read through are not core values, right? These add context to the four core values that we just read together, okay? So here's what I want to do. Michael, you don't have to pull these up, but I want to read the, the, the four values that we just went through together. And then I'm going to read through um, some healthy versions of that. And then also some misconceptions uh, with Scripture so that we can understand uh, how to live. And then a bad example of how to live. Is that Okay. Okay. Number one, we are adopted into God's family, so we intentionally create family and community wherever we go. Number two, we think like healthy family members and do what's best for the whole environment, mutually submitting to one another in love and not being selfish. Number three, in covenant relationships, we purposefully grow our capacity to trust and be trusted as we empower and confront one another in order to live out who we truly are. And number four, we are loyal which is demonstrated, man, our kids are having a good time in there. Get them, God. Get them, Lord. We are loyal, which is demonstrated most radically when people fail, okay? So those are the four things, those four pillars of belief around healthy family that we talked about this morning. The third one, in covenant relationships, we purposefully grow our capacity to trust and to be trusted as we empower and confront one another in order to live out who we truly are. Is that good? Okay, so let's talk about some context here. I, I had 10 points. I shaved it down to, I think, three just for time's sake this morning, and this might be a part two, and it might be an online thing that we do. I don't know. I've, the first time I've ever taught on this, so uh, we're, we're doing this for the first time together this morning, okay? So let's do this. Uh, God the Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit have brought us into their intimacy and family. Notice it says their intimacy and family, that it's not me joining my family to his, that I have been brought into their, not only their, their family, remember, before anything ever existed, Father, Son, and Spirit lived together in perfect peace and, and, and unity. They, they are the first family, right? And so we have been brought into that, not only family, but what? Intimacy. And from their love and wisdom, we build healthy families and communities. Let's look at uh, John 17. We all probably know this. 
Uh, here we go. I in them and you in me. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And that's the gospel, is that because of him, this is my story. I in them and you in me. Unseparable. He cannot look at me and not see Jesus. And vice versa, when he looks at the sun, who does he see? Me and you. That's it. Let's look at number two. Jesus explicitly created us to live in community. People are most alive when planted in a healthy family of believers. Let's look at uh, Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Praise the Lord. I will make him a helper fit for him. Let's look at uh, Genesis 1.26 here. Then God said, let us make man in our image. How many believe that when he formed man, that he was the model? He didn't just throw some mud on a, on a wheel and go to town and, and he got a product that he thought looked good. He's the mold. He's the mold. Right? And so the way that we should live, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What does that mean? That we physically look like him? No. The way that he behaves, the way that he believes, the way that he carries himself the way that he loves, the way that he gives. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them have dominion over everything, fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I love that part. It's just the details, like every, every little thing, all the ants and spiders and all the ugly stuff that I hate. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. The, just the hammering away at making sure that we understand here that I am made in his image. Male and female, he created them. My God, somebody needs to put this out to the world. This is, this is <laughs> I don't have time to unpack this today, but I'm going to say it just to say it. There is male and there is female. And if you have an issue with that, you take it up with him. That felt really good to say. Whew. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Praise the Lord somebody. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over all the stuff, everything that moves on the earth. I knew that y'all would like that. And so family is not only to exist. Do we understand that Genesis 26 isn't just telling us why we were made and what image we're made in, but he also gives us a command and says, here's what you're joining together of not just being one, but now being two, and then being three and four and five looks like. You no longer now exist, you abide. You don't just exist in the land I've put you, you abide in it. What does that mean? If I abide, I take part in the land. I have dominion over the land. I'm feasting on the fruits of the land. I'm sowing into the land. I want to challenge us this morning. This is just a side note that if you want a fruitful, healthy community and a family, I'm talking about this church community here. I'm talking about the place of work that you have. I'm talking about the, the living room of your home with your children and your wife and your, and your husband. There, there is existing and there is abiding, which means that you are not just a consumer of, that we not only eat and partake of the benefit of the land or wherever we are, we sow back in. Does that make sense? And so dominion is not just about feasting. Dominion is not about control. Dominion is about me taking part in the place that I'm planted having influence over the place that I have been set in. Why? To bring benefit and blessing and growth and increase. 
because that's the way that you and I are made. Over everything that moves, you have dominion. Why? Not to dictate and rule, to bless, to grow, to sow into. And that's the way God has designed family. This okay? Let's keep going. Let's look at, uh, I have one more. Is it, oh, hold on. Well, I think my notes are wrong. Let's do this. We're just going to roll with it. I want to read, pull that one back up again. Is there a number seven down there, Michael? I know I'm skipping a, a pretty far ahead, but I, I want to, yeah, there we go. That's the one I want. Man, she made all those extra slides for me. Praise the Lord. Well, we've got, we've got something ready for round two next time. All right, let's read through this. We do nothing out of selfish ambition or gain. Instead, we intentionally partner with others to seek mutual benefit in everything that we do. Let's look at Philippians 2, verse 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Listen to this. Complete my joy. A father is saying this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Selfless love. Selfless laying down my life for my brother and my sister and the person next to me is the way that you and I are designed to live. Period. Amen? Okay. Last thing I want to talk about are some common misconceptions around healthy family. Uh, Michael, there should be, yeah, there we go. That's what I want. So I want to look at two of them. I had uh, uh, some extra ones, but we only have time for maybe two. Um, and I want to unpack one of them quite a bit. Number one, not all Christian communities are demonstrating healthy relationships. No way. No way. You got to be kidding me. I thought that because they were Christian and they're a church that they're supposed to model Jesus rightly. Unfortunately, I think the people in this room all know that not every church is doing that well. And I will even propose that there are many churches that are not doing this at all. And I, I hate being critical against the church. I think you all know that I love the I'm a local church guy, have been my entire life. I, I love this specific gathering of the saints. But I, I am going to tell you that there are some pastors, there are some leaders, there are some church planners who have prioritized money and income and power and influence and visibility and social media metrics and, and impressions and any, any other statistic or number that adds value to our, their identity that's not rooted in Christ to, for, to fulfill and affirm who they are and how they function. But this here is not what we are going to be. We are going to be a house that does this well. Amen. So let's read some scripture real quick. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Yikes. As infants in Christ. Good Lord. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Imagine someone telling you this. I couldn't even dress you as a spiritual person. I've not even been feeding you steak and potatoes. You've been drinking milk still. You're on formula. Why? Because you weren't ready for it. You weren't mature enough to receive what I had for you. And this right here is most of the church. Is that the Sunday morning and the Bible study, I'm going there. The Bible study and the Wednesday night gathering, and the men's gathering, and the women's gathering, and all these meetings, and all these programs, 
have replaced what actually was supposed to be happening, is that we weren't supposed to be digging from the same five scriptures over the next 10 years, but we're actually called to learn and to live and to grow and mature past our own understanding into something more mature that he has for us. And so we believe this morning, and I'm, I'm saying this uh, as, a, as a pastor at this church, that our responsibility is to move on from the formula, to move on from the milk, and to move into a meal that's more mature, that's going to not just be good on the taste buds going down, but it's going to add value, it's going to add nutrition, it's going to strengthen our body. Amen? Okay. Let's look at one more. This is the one that I really wanted to get to today. Number, this is point number three, I think, in the, in the list, if there is a list, I don't know. I'm going to read it, and you can find it if you can. We recognize that it is possible for someone to behave their way out of the community. I'm going to read this again. We recognize that it is possible for someone to behave their way out of the community. So sometimes it is unwise and unsafe for a community to extend grace at the same level that God does. Selah. And that is a hard thing to hear, especially for someone standing right here in front of you with a microphone that has more mercy and grace and compassion and has taken the opposite of this to the farthest extreme. And this man right here on the front row who has put me in this position has watched me do that over the past six years and watched me fail in this way to continually allow people who refuse to grow. Remember that first point that we just read in these misconceptions that they've refused. I couldn't even address you as spiritual I couldn't even feed you a real meal because you wouldn't move on from the milk. And those are the people that we're talking about here. Do we extend love and mercy and grace to those people in this community as the body? Absolutely we do. But to the point that it becomes detriment to us, we have a responsibility to allow the Lord to break off those connections if people want to come here and get planted and grow, that's fantastic. We love that. There are people in this room, new and old, that have been here for a long time and a short time. And I've watched a lot of you from afar and up close do just that, to come in and plant your feet and allow the Lord to add nutrient and value to who you are as a seed. But we also are responsible to know when people have to go. That does not mean that we kick them and push them out. But it does mean that we allowed the Lord to separate the wheat from the chaff. Amen. And so real quick, I know I've only got two minutes. Can I go over just a few minutes? Okay. I, I just want to read some scripture, and then we're going to pray and let the Lord bless it, and I hope y'all don't hate me after this. Okay. Here we go. Romans 16. Here we go. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the, the, of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Now, understand here that he is not talking about having difference of opinion or theology here is that we, because of the covenant we live in and the community that we have built here, we all have the opportunity to come in and to believe differently but agree that God is good and love one another well. Amen? That, that is something that I firmly believe, that we do not have to have everything on the same page together, but that does mean that we can love one another well, right? But understand the context here. For such persons do not serve the Lord but their own appetites. We're talking about a class of people that not, not only believe differently, but their belief has become their idol. And that now what they believe serves their own interest rather than growing the person next to them, right? Does that make sense? 
I want to keep reading because I have another one that's going to add a lot of context and understanding to this. Let's look at uh, Titus 3, 9-11. There it is. My Lord. Whoa. But, uh, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That's hard. That's hard. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Do you see that? He is now self-condemned. That doesn't mean that I have a responsibility to condemn him. His His personality, the way that he's lived, the way that he's locked himself to believing about himself has condemned himself. Avoid foolish controversies and quarrels about the law, backbiting and and pointless arguments on Facebook about Scripture that doesn't breed life, that doesn't breed family, that reflects no part of the nature of God. This is what he's talking about. I want to keep going. 2 Timothy 2. I'm going to end with two more scriptures here. I'm almost done. 14 through 16. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins who? The hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of what? Truth, but avoid irreverent babble. He calls it babble. I think that's hilarious. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Let's go down just a a couple more verses in that same passage. Uh, Verse 22, yeah. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. How many know that one part of the scripture out there? Faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Here we go. This is the part that I want to emphasize this morning. I want to end with this. I've got to, y'all pray for, I've got to do a ministry time out of this. I don't know what I'm doing. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they, breed, they only breed quarrels. Here we go. This is the part. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Did that say kind to the people they like? Kind to those that agree with them. Kind to those with the same social status. No. To everyone, watch this, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. My God. That God may perhaps, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the Truth. Notice two big themes in all of these misconceptions this morning. One being gentleness, the second one being truth. And the Lord's servant, I want to read this again, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Notice that compassion in this next part, kind to everyone, compassion now opens the door to teach. Not disagreement, not argument, not pointless confrontation. Kindness opened the door to teach, which now allows for repentance so that they might be transformed by the word. Patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That they might have repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And this right here is what you and I are called to do in order to create a healthy family. And not only here, but wherever we go, whatever place of influence we have with family or friend groups, work, social clubs, that we are now called to operate in gentleness as we correct. That opens the door for teaching that now leads to repentance. Does this make sense this morning? Why don't we all stand up together? 
I want to, uh, if, do we have a ministry team this morning? Do we have a few people that can come up? Uh, I, I'm not going to do anything crazy, no, no activations this morning. I, I really hope that Scripture will, will sort of speak for itself today. I know this has been a, a, a huge information dump. Was this okay? Did, did we receive this this morning? Good, 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 good. Uh, I want you to hear me. That I hope my tone of voice didn't come across, across harsh. I am very passionate about this, especially around the area of confrontation, because I've spent my, almost my entire life watching confrontation fail because the purpose of confrontation is not uh, to correct, it's to connect, right? So I want us to um, be able to have a place to come up here and to pray this morning, uh, not to receive something. If you need something, uh, I, I encourage you, just hold on to it and wait till the end. But I want to reserve the next five to ten minutes for people that want to come and, and repent. And I'm not talking about you know, repentance and coming to atone for a sin or to receive punishment so that I can feel better, right? That's, that's old school repentance. We don't do that. I'm talking about reshaping the way that we think this morning so that we can now operate differently, right? How many know that my behavior is only a symptom of my belief? And so if I can change the way that I think like him, I'm not talking about renewing my mind unto some, some man's message. I'm talking about renewing my mind to the Lord's, right? to have the mind of Christ today. And so for us to operate as a healthy family and to build that, we've got to repent in a way that causes us to think like him now and to do family like him. Is that good? And so I want to pray real quick. I want to bless us. Um, but I want those that want to come and, and to get specifically pray, pray, prayed for that and then also to repent and to have a moment to allow the Lord to come and gently correct, right? This, this is not about him bringing out the whip and, and applying punishment. This is about him coming and correcting with gentleness so that he can teach, so that we can have repentance, so that we can be led to the knowledge of the truth, which is what he's after, so that we can know him, right? So, Lord, I pray right now for everyone that has heard this message that it would not be received in offense, but it would be received in love this morning. Jesus, I ask right now, teacher, would you come and help teach us what it looks like to model healthy family? Lord, would you come and show us how you have designed it so that now we can become it? Jesus, I bless this gathering. I bless this church, this body. I ask that you would send the rain for those who are planted in the soil of community. Lord, send the rain today. We receive you today, Lord Jesus. We love you. We love you. All this is for you. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you, guys. For more resources and information about Resurgent ATL, please visit our website.